And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Peter Hammond. And Peter, it's a great honor to have you on with us today. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thank you, Dan. You head up Frontline Fellowship, and you've interacted with many people. And in particular today, we want to talk about a group of people who mean us harm, and that is the Marxists. And you wrote an interesting article just recently called How to Respond to Marxist Bullying Tactics. And that caught my eye because it just hit exactly where my head is at. And so uh, uh, we're seeing a lot of stuff going on here in America, and it's no surprise to you, you have dealt with Marxists in the past. Uh, You've interacted with them, uh, you've even been imprisoned by them. So to get us started, um, are we supposed to uh, embrace a complete passivity and just kind of lay down and let people mow us over? No, definitely not. I mean, just look at all the passages in the Bible that we more than conquerors through Christ. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from us. We we call to be bold, to be brave, to be biblical. And part of that is the fact that greater is he who is in us than him who is in the world. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So uh, as Christians... We need to resist evil. In fact, the scripture says to love God is to hate evil. And as somebody who's been brought up in Africa, I was was, uh, born in Africa, raised in war-torn Rhodesia. I've experienced terrorism and revolution. I've lived through three revolutions and been involved in eight wars. And I've traveled in 42 countries and worked in 38 countries. So I, I know communism well. I've been a missionary to persecute churches. So I've actually been locked up in communist countries and I've experienced interrogations and tortures at their hands and also in the Muslim world and I've been uh, under fire. So I understand this much. There's nothing communists respect more than strength and there's nothing they despise more than weakness. And those people who think that they can calm the situation by bowing to the mob, washing their feet or brushing their shoes or kissing their boots or uh, in any way giving into their gender have no idea that all they're actually doing is greatly aggravating the situation and encouraging the revolutionaries to escalate the demands to even more unreasonable demands. Uh, It's like uh, blood in the water to a shark or uh, the smell of blood to um, uh, a pack of wolves. is just, in fact, that's an insult to the wolves. The wolves aren't that bad. Uh, But these, these Marxist bullies or mobs are extremely dangerous and I've seen what they've done. They've, they've not only destroyed people's livelihoods, but their lives. And mobs, I've seen mobs burn people alive, hack people to death. The most hideous things imaginable. Uh, you, you can't reason with a mob. Uh, and you certainly can't give, show weakness. And uh, I've, of course, I've been a prisoner and I've, I've been handcuffed and chained and shackled and um, waterboarded. And I know what it's like to, to be at the hands of, of uh, a Marxist mob. And uh, there are times when I've been interrogated where I've seen the importance of making a bold biblical witness. And when I was training as a missionary, I remember being told, preach every day, every time, like it's the last opportunity you'll have to preach or the last opportunity those who are listening to you may have to hear the gospel. And so this idea of not to waste time is is so important. So, uh, for example, I I, I recall uh, one time when I was, 
I was captured and I did not think there would be the slightest chance of mercy, actually. Um, I, I was imprisoned in Mozambique, captured. I was taken to Mashava's security prison. I was dragged down the hallway to this room that obviously was a torture chamber. And the man who interrogated me, his first words to me was, I am the devil. I oh, said, dear. You, you're not the devil. And he said, oh, I'm the devil. He said, I'm not a new Marxist <laughs> and a Leninist. I'm a Stalinist. I was trained in Czechoslovakia. Well, what do you say that? So I responded, well, I'm a Christian. And the man exploded <laughs> with venom. He just said, I hate Christians. And he started to pour out his hatred uh, for Christians there. And interesting enough, he then told me that Jesus was the first communist and the Christians in the early church were all communists and the book of Acts all practiced communism. And uh, uh, so I said, I see some inconsistency in what you're saying. If Jesus was the first communist, why do you hate him? If the Bible teaches communism, why is it illegal to bring Bibles into your country? And if true Christianity is communism, why do you say you hate Christians? <laughs> and uh, of course, the man ranted and raved more. And then I started to open up. Um, and I didn't have a Bible physically. I, it had to be just from what I could remember. But how there's a world of difference between Christian generosity and voluntary sharing and communist confiscation and Amen. compulsion. And, uh, you know, saying what's mine is yours and sharing is not the same as saying what's yours is mine and taking. And, you know, I started to expound um, acts and all that. And uh, then he went on a rampage against uh, the evil capitalist system and rampage against Margaret Thatcher. So I thought, okay, well, you, you want to discuss history. So I gave him a lecture on the French Revolution and its catastrophe and the Bolshevik Revolution. Then he uh, came and attacked Reaganomics. This was the 1980s, this was 1989, <laughs> actually. And so I, was, uh, I gave him uh, a whole, uh, the, the benefits between the free enterprise versus the Marxist and compared East Germany with West Germany and why they need the Berlin Wall. It's concrete proof that when people have a choice they choose to be free we've never um we, we've always had problems in the western countries but we've never needed to build a wall to keep our people in or shoot them in the back when they try to leave that's right and uh, so we we he gave me a lecture on the renaissance i gave him a lecture on the reformation and for six hours we swapped lectures and argued and debated <laughs> and and the thing is i saw the clock climbing on, on the wall behind him and i thought i could do this all day I mean, I, I love this sort of thing. This is a lot more pleasant than having your fingernails ripped out. And it just shows, again, <laughs> the importance of knowing things. I think this Marxist was enjoying having a good, thorough debate with someone who was giving him an intelligent run for his money, um, because otherwise he would have been torturing me. <laughs> and after six hours of this exchange, he declared the interview over and sent me back to my cell. And he hadn't even got my name. I, I mean, I was delighted. But again, I didn't back down. And I've seen this uh, on another occasion in Zimbabwe. I was arrested by a central intelligence organization, the CIO, while I was preaching in a base of their soldiers. And uh, so along came the CIO. They, the, they like the KGB of Zimbabwe, Mugabe's KGB. And they arrested me, took me to their headquarters. And uh, I walked into this room that looked like a, a hardware store, you know, pliers and drills and uh, leather straps oh for the arms and feet and uh, uh, chair and uh, electric crocodile clips and the wires attached to batteries and you know, all these sort of things I just think oh my goodness what's coming now yeah. and uh, the first question was what are you teaching our men so I start to preach the gospel passionately amen and they, they were stunned because they obviously didn't expect that and the man said no 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 stop 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 uh, 
why have you come to Zimbabwe? So I gave my testimony on what God had done in my life and how I was converted and saved. And, and they started to get uncomfortable. And, you know, I, I thought this was just like preaching as a dying man to dying men, you know, my last chance. I didn't think I'd get out of there alive, actually. And it, the CRO, no joke, but dead serious, what happened was they came out of conviction of sin. And I saw these Marxists backing down, scratching the back of the head, saying, you know, my mother's very religious. My sister prays for me. My grandmother's a Christian. Oh. And convictions. And, and I started speaking to them like um, souls for whom uh, Christ died. And, and that they need the gospel. And as I spoke to them, would you believe within an hour? It, it wasn't them interrogating me. I was interrogating them and counseling them. And it, it, it sounds bizarre, but... Uh, I was driving out within an hour of being arrested out of CIA headquarters with my interrogators holding the Bibles I'd just given them, waving goodbye to me as I drove out of the <laughs> gates unharmed. Now, if I had done anything other than being bold and biblical and preaching repentance, I think they would have ripped out my fingernails, my toenails and electrocuted me and all waterboarded and all the rest. So literally, let's be sure the highest priority always is the Great Commission. Uh, the Great Commission must be our supreme ambition. Christ's last command must be our first concern. And if we as Christians want to uh, beg for mercy, apologize, grovel, anything like this, they will respond as bullies do. The only thing they respect is strength. The thing they despise the most is weakness. Well, today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, and this is regards an article he just wrote, How to Respond to Marxist Bullying Tactics. And one of the sentences you already covered is this, uh, the moment Marxists sense weakness, fear, compromise, they smell blood and will only howl for more and escalate their unreasonable demands. And then you went on to write about the time you met with Nelson Mandela. Can you describe that? <laughs> that that was very interesting. Of course, Nelson Mandela is quite an icon to the world, and he was president of South Africa in 1995. And I'd just marched 30,000 people to Parliament in Cape Town to oppose President Nelson Mandela's secular policies, which include legalizing abortion, pornography, a whole range of secular uh, state agenda, um, perversion, the whole deal. So I marched and and on uh, the back of a truck uh, outside the gates of Parliament, uh, proclaimed through the PA system our opposition to what the government was doing. And somebody came to the president's office and told me I was summoned to the president's mansion two days from then. So we marched on Tuesday. Thursday, I had to go to our equivalent of the White House. And uh, the first words Mandela said to me as I arrived at Kretoskia was, so, Mr. Hammond, what were you doing in the years of struggle? And my response was, I was fighting people like you, sir. <laughs> and he smiled and he laughed and he slapped his knee and he stood up and he came over and he shook my hand again and he said, I'm so glad to meet an honest white man. All the other whites <laughs> have told me how they always opposed apartheid and actually support me. And I wondered how the National Party had stayed in power for 44 years when all the while whites actually opposed the National Party and supported me. Right. Well, I respond, well, make no mistake, Mr. President, we were not fighting for apartheid. We were fighting against communism and against terrorism. And his response was, apartheid was the greatest evil in the history of the world. So I said, I cannot agree with that, Mr. President. That prize must go to your friends, your supporters, the communists. They have littered the 20th century with 160 million corpses, not foreign people, 
killed in a time of war, but their own people killed by their own governments in times of peace. Over 66 million slaughtered under communism in the Soviet Union, of which 36 million were killed under Joseph Stalin alone. Over 69 million killed in Red China under Mao Zedong. Over 2 million killed under Pol Pot's Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. Millions more killed under Mengistu in Ethiopia, Samora Michelle Mozambique, Agustino Neto in Angola, and under Fidel Castro in Cuba, who he had just invited to speak to our joint houses in South Africa and given the biggest medal South Africa can give to him. Mm. So Mandela then said, I'm surprised you want to restrict the rights of women by opposing abortion. And I said, Mr. President, you are questioning today the Christianity of people who 40 years ago justified apartheid. But I tell you, sir, it won't be 40 years from now. People will question your humanity for legalizing abortion. You are seeking to replace apartheid with abortion. And abortion is even worse than apartheid. Abortion does not just place the baby on a separate voter's role or uh, restrict where they can live or swim. Abortion takes the baby's life and life begins at conception. And abortion is the violent taking of an innocent life. Abortion is the worst type of apartheid because it separates a baby from its own mother, from its life support at the most critical stage of development. You are seeking to replace discrimination on the base of race with yeah. discrimination on the base of age. And we had an hour of exchanging like that. And uh, I um, believe that at the end, Mandela was more respectful of us because, you know, he, he's a consistent communist and he respected someone who had the courage of his convictions. If I had tried to grovel or do what a lot of people have done before the communists in the streets of America these days, things would have turned out very differently. But because I stood my ground and, and he knew I was telling the truth and he under, they expect Christians and anti-communists to be Christian and anti-communist. And we don't do ourselves or the people we speak to any favors if we are cowards on the day when we must make a stand and step out and speak out. That's right. And you know what stands out to me, Peter? And today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond. Um, in one of your stories, you're you're preaching the gospel of Christ, um, basically a churchy message, if you will. And then, and then you turn the page of your history, and there you are uh, marching with 30,000 people to Parliament in Cape Town, and you end up speaking with Nelson Mandela, and and, um, and God gives you a boldness. And what what I like about this is that you don't compartmentalize and say, well, God's rule is only in the church. But you see, I'm putting words in your mouth here, but I think it's true, that Jesus Christ is Lord over all the spheres of life. Yes, Amen. In fact, I think that's the key thing is uh, we are proclaiming the Lordship of Christ in all areas of life and seeking to apply the Lordship of Christ to every area of life because that's the Great Commission. All authority has been given unto Christ. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching obedience to all things the Lord has commanded. That is the Great Commission, and that must be our supreme ambition. And the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is teaching obedience to all things the Lord has commanded, Amen. making disciples of all nations. And so we cannot compartmentalize or limit or restrict or censor the gospel. And I believe a lot of damage has been done. And if you just look at the riots on the streets of America right now, I think what we're seeing there is it is uh, it should be a tremendous wake-up call to anybody uh, looking at what's going on there and realize what this is telling us is this is the end result of not making a stand. If yes. uh, 
it's churches that fail to engage the culture and routinely censor the scriptures. If they were only preaching nice, non-confrontational, Willow Creek purpose-driven, lukewarm, materialistic kind of comforting messages, well, this would explain why so many of the people throwing the Molotov cocktails and tearing down uh, monuments uh, to our history uh, come from Christian homes and churches and probably went through youth groups because they apparently didn't hear a message that transformed their lives for the good. And so if you ever needed more proof of the desperate need for biblical reformation, revival, and church, the revolutions in the streets provide that. Yes. Now, uh, when you were meeting at, towards the end with Nelson Mandela, uh, he said something about pictures. Can you share us what ha- with us what happened then? <laughs> well, you know, I really didn't mean to be rude at all. We really believe in being polite and all that. But at the end of the hour, the, the clock literally struck the hour, and Nelson Mandela had given us a full 60 minutes. He stood up and said, you may take your pictures now. And I'd honestly not even considered the thought that and I hadn't <laughs> brought a camera in. Uh, none of us hadn't. I said, no, thank you. And he turned with his mouth agape in absolute apparent shock. Maybe we were the first delegation to meet to the president <laughs> who didn't want to have their pictures taken of him. But yeah, it was the last thing in my mind. But I said, but we'd like to pray for you, sir. Amen. And he responded, no, no, that's very private and personal. I, I pretended not to, and I put a hand on one shoulder and the other ministers with me put a hand on the other shoulder and we prayed that the Lord would not grant Mr. Mandela any peace till he did what he knew was right, until he introduced legislation for the protection of helpless, innocent babies and the violence and injustice of abortion, and that Nelson Mandela would find peace in Christ by bowing the knee and surrendering to Almighty God to do his will. Amen. And so um, I presented him a book by Dr. James Kennedy, and uh, um, I, over the years I've had some people saying, you know, Oh, you criticized Mandela. Have you ever prayed for him? I said, not only have I prayed for him, I've prayed with him, and I shared Amen. the gospel with him, which a lot of other people have not done. I think one of the most unloving things we could do is to withhold the gospel from a person that we do not know for sure is right with God. And so um, I think it's so important that no matter who we're meeting, and even Marxist interrogators who might be doing us harm, that we clearly give the gospel to them. And, and we we sin against God and against the people God has called us to be a witness to if we fail to be a bold and faithful biblical witness in these times. So I'm so glad that at that time, you can imagine my knees were a bit shaking and I was a bit afraid and there was uh, my heart was pounding at times, but I knew I had to do the right thing or I'd regret it the rest of my life. That's right. And uh, I, I suspect that Mr. Mandela um, got the very clear message that you're opposed to his satanic policies, but you don't hate the man. That is correct. I, I, I had a concern for him, and I certainly hoped that he bowed the knee and surrendered to Christ. We don't have evidence in it uh, on the outward, but who knows what goes on the man's heart. But but I knew that at the very least, I was responsible to present the gospel to him. And we did, in, not only verbally, but in what I put in his hand at the end. Um, yes, it, it's, it's terrible if we are cowards on the day that God gives us an opportunity. This is the only chance I had to meet President Mandela. And uh, I, I couldn't wait for another time. It may not, it didn't come. That was my one chance at one hour with Mandela. And I praise God by his grace that we used it effectively. You know, um, as I hear this story, it just uh, further bolsters my own conviction of uh, not hating the individual, but having a strong defense 
And sometimes that's even physical. I believe, Peter, that we must protect our families, our churches. Uh, When you're talking about mobs, and we've seen what some of these mobs do and can do, um, they destroy things, they burn things down, they literally murder people. And I believe it's godly to stand up to them. It is, and it can be done. And there have been times when a person has taken the courage to walk out and stop them. And uh, we we are in living in interesting times. You know, adversity is not our biggest threat. Our biggest threat is apathy. And so bad times Amen. can be very good for spiritual work. And I must say, I love being an African. I love living in Africa. I love being a missionary in Africa because life here is fascinating, interesting. It's a challenge. It's never boring. And I, I prefer to be a witness in times of adversity and conflict and crisis than to uh, be uh, in a stupor of apathy and surrounded by connoisseurs of sermons. I, I'm, I'm, I know a lot of people say, are you crazy? Why would you live with your whole family in Africa? You know, does You've got death threats and people who hate you and terrorism and so on. True, but there's a greater hunger for the gospel. And uh, I think adversity can be our friend, just like apathy is our enemy. You know, in the last uh, three minutes remaining, um, can you comment just briefly about, again, you already kind of covered it, that of not reasoning with a mob? Yes. You know, it's interesting that uh, Napoleon Bonaparte observed he could not believe the foolishness of King Louis XVI and not ordering his men to open fire on the mob. And young Napoleon, as a young lieutenant, witnessed the massacre of the King's Swiss guard who had been ordered to stand down and uh, the, and they, they got massacred to the man, not one survivor. And Napoleon Bonaparte, young man, determined if he ever faced a mob, he would give them the whiff of grape shot. There you go. Meaning turning the artillery, the cannons on him. And this is what he did on the 5th of October, 1795. Napoleon Bonaparte uh, turned the cannon on the mob and ended six years of anarchy. And it led him to becoming leader in France and then the emperor. And uh, the point is that all the revolutions teach us anarchy in the streets inevitably leads to tyranny in government. And in fact, that's the goal. Do you know that that's what Vladimir Lenin said? He said, never underestimate the benefit of constructive chaos. That's right. Because remember, they they social Darwinists. They believe once there was nothing and then there was something and something exploded and then it became everything. And so if you blow up enough things and burn down enough things, paradise will occur. That's social Darwinism. It's kind of evolution taken to its political, uh, logical, common denominator. So uh, the, the people in the streets who burning and destroying things and destroying heritage and the livelihoods and uh, the civilization built up over generations, they honestly believe that they will bring about a better world by doing this. Of course, they're deluded. Uh, but if they would understand that anarchy leads to tyranny and uh, the people behind them who are using them as cannon fodder for the revolution will betray them just like that, they are being used, they're being lied to. It doesn't matter how sincere they are, but the people in the streets are not the pioneers of a better world. They're the prelude to a worse tyranny. And the Bolshevik Revolution, the French Revolution, uh, the Zimbabwean Revolution, the Mozambique, Angolan, Ethiopian, Cuban revolutions all prove it. This is what happens in communist countries. And so make no mistake, what America is facing right now is communist revolution on the streets. And it must be dealt with decisively and courageously. You cannot allow people to show contempt for the rights to life and property and liberties of others and to violate laws without consequence. Because 
it takes a lot to build civilization. It doesn't take as much to destroy it. So we need to protect what we've given. And uh, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. Well, you've said a lot in that last-minute summary. I love it. Today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, Frontline Fellowship. Uh, He comes to us from Cape Town, South Africa, and he has seen this stuff in the streets, folks. We really want to pay attention and listen to him. Peter, if someone would like to look you up online, uh, how can they find you? Yes, uh, my email is peter at frontline.org.ca. Peter at frontline.org.ca. That's my personal email. Our website's frontlinemissionsa.org. Frontlinemissionsa, SA short for South Africa. Frontlinemissionsa.org is a website. And we're also on, on social media too. Well, I really appreciate what you're doing over there, Peter. I also appreciate the fact that you have a good family and your family helps you in this ministry and you work together as a team. May God bless you. Thank you so much, Dan. God bless all in Redeemer Broadcasting. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.